Thank you for joining us today. At Cross Church, we believe people need Jesus, people need each other, people change the world, and people leave legacies. Our desire is for you to understand, accept, and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Cross Church, please visit crosschurch.com. Daniel chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you've got a Bible, you can be turning there. If you're brand new today, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, I'll be out after the service right back through these doors to your right. Uh, There's a little guest reception area. I'd love to meet you and your family. Love to say hey to you. And uh, But uh, several weeks ago, we began a series walking through the book of Daniel. We're taking 10 weeks and really looking at Daniel's life as well as his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, really seeing what is it that God wants to say to us. And we're building this all around 10 commitments to make when life closes in. And so we are four commitments in today. We'll get to the fifth one. Um, But today in Daniel chapter four, if you've been through the series with us, you know that God has given Daniel a special ability, a gift to interpret dreams. That's already taken place in earlier chapters. Again, he will have to interpret the dream of the king. And I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and spoil some of it for you. It's, it's leading nowhere good today. Okay, so some days you come to church and it's a super encouraging word. It's a great story. Like, man, that should be in the movies right there. This is a bad story. Okay, it's leading nowhere good and it will not have a good ending. Everybody... Everybody excited for that one today? Uh, That's exactly what this passage is all about because it's all about his pride and his pride would ultimately take him down. And uh, so today we're not learning from Daniel or his three friends. We're actually learning from the wicked king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, there's those times in life where you, you learn what not to do. Like some of you, you look at your family and you're like, okay, I definitely learned something that I don't wanna do. Or you, you uh, think about the business that you work in. You're like, okay, I will never be like him. I will never be like her. This is kind of what the Bible is doing right here in this passage. Of It is telling us, do not do this. Do not be like this man. And so here's the fifth commitment we're asking you to make throughout this series. And here's what it is today. I will not take the glory from God. I will not take the glory from God. That'll make sense the more uh, we go through this passage today. Uh, Let me give you a brief reminder where we ended up last week. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, have all been cast in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to the idol that the king had set up. Uh, God rescues them. In fact, Jesus Christ himself comes and stands in the fire with them, rescues them out of that. And, uh, And here they are. And the king is amazed. He begins to praise God. And this is just a continuation of him praising God. Look at verse one of chapter four. <clears throat> he says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, honestly, if you read the end of chapter three, the beginning of chapter four, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so so has the king, has he like crossed the line of faith? Has he surrendered his life to God? Has he been saved in this passage? Um, He's already had a moving experience with God in chapter two, I believe it was, where he says some empty words, but it really didn't change his heart at all. And so is it just more of that or has he really crossed the line of faith? Um, there are people on various sides of this issue and you can kind of just, uh, this is one of those things we'll learn one day in heaven. 
Uh, I tend to believe that this is not a conversion experience, though it could have been. He could just be an immature believer who is still living in a lot of pride, and it could be that. I tend to believe, based on some things that we read, that he is actually not saved yet. I believe that will come at the end of chapter four, but that's next week, and we ain't going to next week, okay? But that's just a little uh, a little tidbit there for you. Um, here's what I would tell you. Um, let's begin with Nebuchadnezzar's dream, okay? What was the dream that the king had that he is asking Daniel to interpret? Let me, let me sum it up for you. This is found in verses four through 13, about nine verses here. It's somewhat confusing. Let me just give you the high points of it. You can go back and read it later on your own time today. Daniel says, um, in relation, really it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar saying to Daniel, listen, I had this dream and there was a huge tree that its top reached all the way to heavens. There was abundant fruit on it. There were beautiful leaves on it. And, uh, and then someone came down from heaven and declared that they were going to chop down the tree and just leave the stump. And here's the key verse that begins to help us understand what is said here. Look at verse 16. It says, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Now, that's kind of confusing in itself, just reading those two verses. So again, let me just, let me highlight one principle here, and then we're going to dive in deep to what did this dream actually mean? God has been repeating a theme for us. It seems as if the last few series have reiterated this truth over and over and over for us. But again, Daniel is told through this dream that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. So in other words, here's the reiterated principle that we've shared several times the last few months. God determines who leads around the world. God sets up rulers, presidents, uh, all kinds of leaders in all kinds of countries, and he is working a plan that is grander than any of us can see, and it is leading ultimately to the conclusion of the world. So if you've ever looked at the news or watched the news and you're like, bro, this is concerning uh, you're burdened by it. Uh, think about stuff like Russia and Ukraine. And you're like, man, how, how does all this work in God's plan? Where is God in the midst of this kind of crisis? The Bible would reiterate in Daniel chapter four, he is smack dab in the middle of all that. And he is working the world towards its intended end. Now that's a hard thing to get a hold of. It's a hard thing to grasp, but it is a great thing to trust. Okay. Here's where really uh, the rubber meets the road. Okay, look at Daniel's interpretation of the dream. It begins in verse 19. He says, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. What is he saying there? He's saying, this is not good, king. And I hope this is not for you. I hope it is for your enemies and the people who hate you. Okay, this tree that has risen to the top of the heavens, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, that tree is you. You've become a strong, powerful man and leader, but God's about to bring you down. That's essentially the message of the dream. You'll be driven from men and you will live in the field as a beast. Now, before I go any longer, um, this is one of the oddest stories in the entirety of the Bible. It is also what I would say one of the scariest stories in the Bible. 
All right? Um, Keep on reading with me. Look at verse 25. It says about Nebuchadnezzar, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time, that's seven years, shall pass over you till you know. If you got your Bible in your lap, I would underline those words. Till you know, till he knows what? That the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. What he's saying is this. Um, this is going to happen to you until it clicks in your brain that you are not the king of the world. Until it clicks that God has risen you to power and that is it. Okay, so there's a pride issue in the king's life. All this is going to happen to you so that ultimately it will humble you and you will realize once and for all that the Most High God is the ruler and he gives the kingdom to whom he will. He then gives the king a call to repent. He's like, listen, hey man, just turn to God here. Look at verse 27. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Here's what Daniel's telling the king. Oh, king, turn from your sin, man. Like, turn, turn to God right now. Like, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, God will relent and he will not do this thing to you that he has said. If we could take it from Nebuchadnezzar's life and take it to your own life today, this is actually great spiritual advice for every follower of Christ in this room today. Practice righteousness today. When you don't know what to do next, that's where some of you are today. Nick, I'm on a major decision moment in my life, but I don't know where to go next, what to do next. Do what you know to do. Practice righteousness, do godly things, be committed to the right things. And then he says this, show mercy to the oppressed. So in other words, speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves. Stand up for people who cannot stand up for themselves. He's speaking about the poor here. Uh, you, you could say that we are to speak up for the vulnerable in all ways. We're to speak up for the unborn, like people who cannot stand up and speak for themselves. So just pause there before we go any further and just ask yourself, are those two things present in my life? Am I a man, am I a woman who is practicing righteousness daily? And am I showing mercy to the oppressed? Do I have a heart for the poor and for the vulnerable in all phases of life. Now, it's as if the warning that, that Daniel gives the king here goes right over the head of the king, okay? Um, we're not told how he reacts, like specifically in that moment, but the very next passage shows us that the warning from Daniel did not take root. Let's talk about the pride that, that brought him down, okay? Look at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my majesty, by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Well, let me play this out for you, okay? Let's, let's act this out. I'll be the king right now, all right? Um, I'm on the roof of the kingdom in Babylon and I'm walking around going, look at all this I have done. I really am the man. I mean, some people think that a man, I am the man. Like, look at these buildings. Look at the economy. Look at everything. Golly, man, I am the stuff right here, okay? That's essentially what's taking place in this passage. It is like he took what Daniel told him to do 
And he did the exact opposite thing. Isn't that true? Like humble yourself, turn to God, and it just, it's like right over the head. Parents, grandparents, you ever tell your kid to do something, they do the exact opposite? That may have happened in our family this past week, and I had a conversation with one of them. I said, you did the exact opposite of what I told you to do. It's exactly what the king does in this passage. It is the pinnacle of pride and of arrogance. He overlooks the kingdom of Babylon and takes 100% credit for building the city. Let's make this personal, okay? Let's move from a wicked king. Let's move to your own life here just a moment, okay? Here's a temptation that every single person in this room is going to face. You say, well, that's interesting. I didn't know we had all the same temptations. This is one that every single one of us in this room will face. And here's what the temptation is. We will always face the temptation to take the glory from God. Always. So for the rest of your life, you will battle, am I going to lift myself up or humble myself before the Lord? So let's make this, again, personal in your life. Um, The temptation is to look at the business and say, look at what I've built. Temptation is to look at your family, look at your kids, say, golly, they're, they're good-looking kids. I mean, look at what we've done. What a great family we have. How about your bank account, your money? Temptation is to look at it and say, I made it, did it, what's up? Like this is the thing. Or you fill in the blank with your own life, okay? Temptation is to say, hey, I, I, uh, I did this, whatever this is. Here's the biblical advice from Daniel chapter 4. Here's what it is. Always give God the glory. You say, Nick, when you say always, what do you mean? (laughs) Always give God the glory. When you're not sure what to do or what the right response is, give God the glory. You may ask me, say, Nick, well, isn't there a, a human component in all of those things you just discussed? Isn't there a human component in business or as a parent or grandparent? Uh, Isn't there a human component in in all the other parts of life? There's no doubt there's a human component. Still, always give God the glory, okay? Um, It always makes me cringe a little bit, and maybe maybe you're the same way. Always makes me cringe a little bit when people take credit for things that only God can do. By the way, which is everything in life. And and it makes me cringe a little bit um, because I see it often in my own life. Can I get a witness from anybody else today? And, and I, I cringe when I begin to think, well, look, look at all this. How about this, right? And, and, and once you go down that silvery slope, it's a hard one to get back up from. This is like walking on thin ice, and you never know when you're going to fall through. And it's just a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Think about what Daniel's chapter 4 is all about. If you, if you boil this down to the most simple of simple interpretations, here's what's taking place in Daniel chapter four. God is taking the most powerful man in the world to the woodshed. He is getting a king, a powerful man, right where he needs to be. A man who thinks he's powerful, who looks upon the kingdom and says, God, look at how great I am. Look at all of this pointing directly to me. And he's about to be quickly reminded that God is the builder of all things. Uh, some of y'all are, are old school Fable Campus people. Any old school Fable Campus people in the room today? How many strip mall people in the room? All right, there you go. Much love. Um, 
For those of you all the way back to the strip mall, I've been teaching you a statement for years, all the way back to the strip mall. And uh, here it rises to the surface again. This is the choice every time you face the temptation to take the credit for something, okay? Will I be a glory acceptor or will I be a glory deflector? So in other words, when people uh, compliment me or they do something where it brings attention to me, is it like, okay, hey, no, stop it, guys, stop it. Actually, go on. How would you define that? Put it in an acrostic, how great I am. Like, like, what would you say about me? That's a glory acceptor. A glory deflector is someone who just says, hey, man, hey, praise the Lord. Man, God's good. He's been so good to us. Man, he's been so faithful. You see the difference there? So are you going to be a glory acceptor or a glory deflector? When in doubt, deflect. So when people praise your business, where do you get the glory? When people praise your family, where do you get the glory? When people praise your life, and maybe they praise all of you uh, who are still in school, maybe they praise your grades. You're like, Nick, that's actually never happened to me before in my life, okay? (laughs) Choose something else, all right? Uh, When I was in college, my favorite professor was a guy by the name of Dr. Ben Gutierrez. He taught pastoral ministry classes, and I took Greek from him. And, um, and I don't remember a lot from college. Anybody else, like, you know, you sat in class for a really long time and only took away a few things. <clears throat> this is one of those conversations that I'll never forget, is uh, that particular day in our, in our pastoral ministry class, he was speaking about how do you as a pastor receive compliments when people come up to you, like after a service, say, man, preacher, that was a great message. Thanks so much for that. And he says that I often just, just deflect by saying this, hey, hey praise the Lord. Man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. And, and I've, I've taken that into my own life. So sometimes if somebody comes up to me after me, uh, up to me after a service and says that, I'll say, hey, praise the Lord. Or I'll, I'll uh, say it sometimes like this. Man, we got a good book, don't we? It's just cheating. Just open up, say what it says. Like, that's all I do. And, and if you've ever walked away and I've said that to you, you're like, that was a weird encounter right there. <laughs> That, that is me trying to do what the Bible is telling us to do right here. But you got to find what fits you uh, in a business context, in a family context, whatever it may be. you got to find the way that you appropriately deflect. And, uh, and by the way, um, you don't have to be the encouragement police for people of, well, if I say a compliment to her, if I can't say a compliment to him, it's going to go to their head. All right, you, let God sort that out with them. Like if you're in small group this week and your small group leader did a fantastic job teaching the word to you and leading discussion, you should go up to him or her after, after the, the group and say, hey, I just want to thank you for preparing this week. God really used it in my life. All right? No one ever died from over-encouragement. So don't, don't get weird in all this. All right? And you're the people who God has called to keep everybody else humble. All right? That's that a different sermon altogether. Okay? Well, what is the fallout of his pride? Let's look at that. Here's the fallout. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You ever heard statements that, um, that your stomach drops when you hear it? Maybe it's when you got bad news about a family member who passed away or something at the office and your stomach just drops. I imagine Nebuchadnezzar's stomach Hit the floor right here. It says, and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. 
And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time, seven years shall pass over you. Here it is again. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. I told you, it's one of the oddest stories anywhere in the Bible. And I would tell you, it is uh, one of the strangest and scariest judgments of God that we see anywhere in the, in the whole of the Bible. There are times when people are judged and maybe they drop dead or something. This is an entirely different deal. All because of pride in a guy's life. So for seven years, the most powerful man in the world in that time in history would be on all fours eating grass like an ox. The Bible says that his hair grew out like bird's feathers and his nails were long like bird's claws. So if you're imagining this in your mind, like, Dude, that is a weird picture. It's a really weird picture. It was an immediate judgment for his pride. He was warned. He was encouraged to be humble. And yet he denied all of that and God judged him. What was that judgment? For seven years, you're in the pasture, buddy. You're going to look like a beast. You're going to smell like a beast. You're going to be without reason like a man. But you will be like an animal. Let's talk about God's judgment upon pride because this is really where it hits home. And here's where we'll round third base and head home today, okay? You may think to yourself, well, <laughs> I'm sure glad God doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, I'm thankful he's not going to turn me into a beast. Well, Maybe not, probably not, but I would be very careful to say what it is that God is going to do and what it is that God is not going to do. Like, I would just tread lightly upon those statements. I wonder who here in this room is under the judgment of God because of pride. It's kind of a direct statement, is it not? You may say, Nick, do you really believe that? I wholeheartedly believe that. You say, well, why do you believe that? I believe this passage tells us that. I believe the New Testament affirms that. James chapter 4. You've heard me share this many times. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me give you two final truths, two truths about pride, and we're done. Truth number one is this, pride brings God's opposition. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Literally, when you look at this in the Greek language, the word opposes here means he sets his face against you. you say, what in the world does that look like? I don't, I don't really know. I don't think I want to know, do you? That God sets his face against the prideful person. Life is hard enough without the opposition of God. Everybody in agreement on that? Could it be that um, 
You're facing a judgment like Nebuchadnezzar's, an out front demonstrative judgment. The good thing about that is at least you know what it is. Can, can I give you uh, two levels deeper that I think are scarier related to God's judgment than just an out front judgment? What about the subtle judgment of God? Where you can't quite put your finger on it. Things are just not working. Business just isn't working. The the family just isn't working. Your personal life just isn't working. And and you get to the point where where you think to yourself, man, I, I don't know what's going on. Could it be just the subtle judgment of God? It's scarier, and I say it's scary because sometimes you just can't put your finger on it. And yet, through the Word of God, maybe God's putting His finger on it in your own heart. You know what the, what the, what the greatest level, and when I say greatest, like the worst of judgment, it is when God just gives you up to your sin and there's no judgment. This is the message of Romans chapter 1. God gave them up to sexual sin. Can we expand the sins? God gives us up to greed. God gives us up to bitterness and unforgiveness. God gives us up to slander. God gives us up to fill in the blank in your own life. God gives us up to a lack of trust. And it's, and it's the most horrifying because there, there is no sense of God saying, hey, hey, snap back into reality. Like, get back to where you need to be. And he just, just lets you go. You see how scary that is? Are, are you under one of those three types of judgment today? All because of pride. You say, well, I don't have a pride issue. I may have other sin issues, but not pride. Well, that in itself is pride. I, I hate to tell it to you, okay? And the tricky thing about pride is pride is so sneaky that it just casually slips in and it always makes it about the other person and what they've done. So unforgiveness and bitterness at its root is pride. Slander talking bad about somebody behind their back. It's ultimately a pride issue. You raising yourself above that person. And we could talk through many, many issues and so many of the root issues of all the sins that we battle in this room all comes back to this thing called pride. You say, well, Nick, I am, I am scared to death now. I mean, I, am, I do think that I am under some sense of the judgment of God because of pride in my life. And I I don't know what to do. How do I get out of this? Man, all I know to say is just run to God. Like run to humility. Humble yourself before the Lord. I I don't have this happen often, but this past Thursday. So Thursday, I'm I'm several weeks ahead in, in preparation for Sundays. And so Thursdays, I pull the manuscript back out and I begin... It's what's in my, in my Bible. If you've ever wondered how I preach, my notes are in my Bible. It's a cheat code there. Um, 
And I'll begin to just mark up, star, and underline things on Thursday mornings. And, and again, this does not happen very often, but, but I really felt the Spirit of God tell me, in this moment, as I was just working through it on Thursday morning, this is for somebody that's here today. That you are under the judgment of God because of pride right now. And God is calling you to humble yourself. I don't know what that means. I'm not a prophet. I'm just trying to be sensitive when I feel like the Lord is just saying, hey, reiterate this. There's somebody here who needs to humble themselves and come back to the Lord. Pride brings about God's opposition, but here's our last, last thing when we're done. Pride keeps us from God's best. Pride keeps us from God's best. You know, maybe the judgment of God that you're experiencing, this is kind of a weird thing to say. Maybe the judgment that you're experiencing is just that simply you are not experiencing God's best. Um, what could your family look like if you would humble yourself before the Lord? What could the business look like if you would humble yourself before the Lord? Um, never forget what I'm about to say. You will never experience God's best when you're living a life of pride. You'll never experience it. In other words, here's, here's what this could mean. I am leaving the abundant life on the table. I'm leaving God's best for my life in every area on the table because of pride. I warned y'all, not a good story, not a happy passage, but man, don't be a Nebuchadnezzar. Don't let the message of God for your life just go right over your head this morning just like he did. The hard thing about never experiencing God's best is you never really understand how it would fully play itself out. You don't even know what it is that God could do in your life. You don't even know what God could give you in your life because we'd rather have pride. So what's the commitment today? I will not take the glory from God. I'm not gonna do it. Not in my life, not in this family's life. I wonder how many Christians today need to freshly humble themselves before the Lord. We're going to respond to God. I'm going to ask that nobody, nobody move. We're almost done, okay? But I wonder who here today needs to come back to the Lord. Who is in this room that God spoke to me about your life on Thursday morning? for this moment right here where God might rescue a marriage rescue another relationship save a business just by a simple choice to humble yourself before the Lord I'm going to invite you as we sing a final song to come and let your knees hit the altar to get your, on your face before the Lord and if you say well, Nick, in front of all these people you're not ready yet. It's pride. Humility says, I don't care who sees. I don't care 
what it means, I will obey the Lord and I will humble myself before God. Who needs to do that here today? I often tell you, when's the last time your knees hit the altar? Have they ever hit the altar? I mean, I'm just moved by what the Spirit of God is doing in my life. God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. You know, the most humbling thing you'll ever do is to admit that you're not right. Some of you have never come to grips with that. You may know it deep down, but to confess it out loud is another thing. To confess that, you know what, I'm, I'm not right, I'm broken. I know that I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm ashamed of. And I know that I need to be forgiven. I carry a lot of shame over the things that I've done. Am I describing your life right now? And, and the most humbling thing you'll ever do, but the greatest thing you'll ever do is to humble yourself before God and say, I am not right, but you are right. And I put my faith in Jesus to save me. Not in my own goodness, not in my church attendance or other, any more, other more moral action that I could do. But I humble myself and I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Would you do that today? I'm going to ask us to bow our head and close our eyes. Our staff is making their way right now to the front. If you're here today and you need to meet Christ personally for the very first time, it's never happened before in your life, but today you're ready to humble yourself and be saved. Would you come in just a moment? Just come to one of these men or women. All you got to do is take their hand and say, I need to give my life to Christ in a very private moment right there, not up on stage, not in a microphone, in a very private moment, they'll lead you to faith in Christ. Would you do that today? Make that step today. For those of you who are Christians, I wonder who in this room, you need to humble yourself afresh before the Lord. Who in this room, God has spoken to your heart like a spotlight shining on your head today. And it's time to get right with God. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like today, would you do that, okay? Lord, we give you these final moments of this service. Would you move us to moments of obedience, moments of humility before the Lord? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like more information about your relationship with Jesus, please email us at info at crosschurch.com or visit our website at crosschurch.com. At Crosschurch, our mission is to reach Northwest Arkansas, America, and the world for Jesus Christ.